Hello everyone, I'm Jorge Fascinetti, and this is another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Today I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Bill Ludlam, the Senior Vice President, Clinical Development and Medical Affairs at Chiasma a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing oral therapies to improve the lives of patients who face challenges associated with existing treatments for rare and serious chronic diseases. In June 2020, Chiasma received the first and only FDA approval for an oral somatostatin analog, SSA, ocreotide called Mycapsa which can be used for the long-term maintenance treatment of acromegaly in people for whom initial treatment with ocreotide or lanreotide has been effective and tolerated. This was also Chiasma's first product approved by the FDA, utilizing its patented transient permeability enhancer, or TPE technology, that is designed to convert select peptide-based injectables into oral formulations. Throughout my discussion with Bill today, he will shed light on this technology and the use of Mycapsa. I want to thank Yasma for sponsoring today's event. Pituitary World News is being compensated for our efforts to host this conversation so that we may continue to achieve our mission of delivering state-of-the-art and up-to-date information from healthcare experts. Please stay tuned for the full important safety information for my CAPSA, which will be provided at the end of today's discussion. Bill, I've been looking forward to this discussion with you, so let's jump in. Thank you very much, JD. I'm thrilled to be speaking with you today. Over the years, it's been an honor to get to know you and Dr. Blevins. I have the utmost admiration for the work you've done to develop this wonderful platform. Thank you. Those are very kind words. I appreciate it. Bill, I would love to get started by hearing a little bit more about your career and what brought you to Chiasma. Absolutely. Well, in 2015, I joined Chiasma from Novartis, where I had served as a U.S. uh, medical director for pituitary disorders. And at the time, Novartis was a leading provider of injectable octreotide, which is a standard treatment option for people living with acromegaly. Yes. Uh, Prior to joining Novartis, I held a number of academic uh, positions um, and was uh, very active in in clinical management of patients with acromegaly. Uh, I'd served as the medical director at both the Seattle Pituitary Center and also uh, the Oregon Health Sciences University uh, Pituitary Center. Oh. Uh, throughout my career, um, I've, I've, as I mentioned, done a lot of work uh, treating patients with acromegaly, both in clinical, um, as well as working with companies and advising them, uh, both in their clinical programs, as well as their commercial programs. And through this time, I think I really have become familiar with the limitations that patients and healthcare providers face with current therapies. And and when faced with the opportunity or given the opportunity to work on developing oral octreotide 
got very excited about that and decided to join Chiasma to help with their vision to bring uh, oral therapy for acromegaly to patients. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. So tell me a little bit more about your role at Chiasma and what aspects of your job do you enjoy the most? Well, a lot of things I enjoy. I'm very fortunate in that I, I really love what I do. Um, it's very interesting science in how we're able to deliver the uh, oral, uh, they are triotide through an oral route using uh, transient permeability enhancer technology. Um, and, and, and as I mentioned just a minute ago, I, I recognize the, the need the unmet treatment need for patients to be able to avoid uh, painful injections and all the, uh, the issues that go along with that. Um, and, 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 and I feel that the, the oral ectreotide certainly has that potential to do that. It's been a great honor to work with a number of really top-notch professionals at Chiasma and that, um, you know, working with the, the professionals within Chiasma, the external experts, leaders in the field that I get to work with just really keeps me motivated on a daily basis to, to keep working uh, to, to try to help patients uh, with acromegaly. Well, that's that's, uh, that's uh, fantastic. So I'm, I'm as well continually inspired by people I meet uh, through this community. It can be challenging though at times to, to step aside from the work. So uh, tell me what, what keeps you up at night? Oh, well, I, I think really the, the, the volume of, of work that needs to be done, there's a lot of things that need to happen to be able to bring medical therapies to patients. Um, and, and this work in part because these, these are my patients. These are people that I've worked with for years. Sure. This, is very, this is very personal to me. Yeah. And um, you know, this, 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 the, you know, oral medication for the treatment of acromegaly will, will impact not only patients, but their providers and, 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 and just being able to take this process through the whole, the scientific, the, 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 the studies of having patients working with the centers and ultimately bringing it through a regulatory route and getting approval, uh, a, a lot of things that need to get done. So, so wanting, knowing that we're trying to do this, do it quickly, as quickly as we can and bring it to patients is really the thing that, that motivates me, but it's, uh, it's but it's, you know, it, it's what uh, keeps me up, as you said, uh, at night, knowing uh, that we have a responsibility to do this. And I think we all take that very seriously. Well, well I completely understand that because it's so, you get so uh, close to the people that you work with and the, sometimes the needs are so intense and it's so good to, to hear. I know that Chiasma prides itself on being a very patient-centered organization. So can you tell me how you ensure that the patient voice is included in your work and in your, your research? Well, that's, that's an excellent question, JD. And, and I think we absolutely do. We take very seriously working with the patient, hearing the patient. Um, so I guess to start that answer is we, we do a lot of partnering. We partner with um, uh, patient advocates, individual patients that, that wanna have a voice for patients as a group. We, we partner with industry experts, uh, including lead, leading endocrinologists, nurses, and, and community leaders. And, and in particular, advocates like yourself and Jill Cisco, 
leader of the Acromegaly yeah. community that, yeah. that allows us to keep the pulse on the patient experience, what their needs are and, and what we can best do to try to help them. Um, from, from the very, I think, beginning of this, this journey with chiasma, uh, the acromegaly community, the community of patients with acromegaly at, at large has really been at the heart of our research efforts. Um, they, these, you know, patients have helped us understand more about the treatment burdens. There have been a number of studies that have come out in recent years that have really highlighted, and patients have been very honest in their assessments. And we've learned that, you know, over half the patients experience significant uh, breakthrough symptoms, for example, that mm -hmm. there's a real burden on the on the injections. And that was not previously appreciated. And it was through yes. the work, working with patients, patient advocates, and doing different research studies that that uh, became really uh, apparent. And I think the, the clinical appreciation of that information has really risen uh, and developed over the last um, five years or so. Mm -hmm. um, we, um, to offer up, you know, a few other examples, uh, we've developed the, um, the chiasma management of acromegaly registry, or, or what we call the macro study, which is our first ever industry sponsored acromegaly um, uh, patient registry in the United States. And the goal is to gain a better understanding of what living with acromegaly really means for patients. Uh, we also partnered with um, patients and various industry leaders to develop a tool called the Acromegaly Treatment Satisfaction Questionnaire or the ACRA-TSQ, which is a, a unique way to measure patient reported outcomes, uh, focusing on disease burden and, and the impact of treatment. So I think chiasma really has taken seriously the, the opportunity, responsibility, the role to interface with patients and patient advocates like yourself uh, to ultimately bring therapies and improve the, the care of patients. Yeah, I think, I think that's very important. Thank you. I think that background is crucial in understanding who chiasma is and what motivates you all. Can we dive a little bit deeper to the, uh, to the work that you're doing? Uh, and, and particularly interested in, in TPE, that technique that's proprietary to chiasma. So what is it and, and how does it work? I think it'd be really interesting for our listeners to, to hear that. You bet. So our proprietary transient permeability enhancer or TPE yeah. technology is designed to allow oral administrations of drugs that are only available currently via injection. So for example, uh, peptides, which are really, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, breakdown products of food. I mean, the, the body thinks of them that way. They're little, you know, proteins are yeah. made up of, you know, or long, you know, peptides hooked together and make proteins, right? And so protein, uh, peptides, if ingested orally, would, would normally be degraded in the, uh, in the GI system. So being mm -hmm. able to take a peptide like octreotide and take it orally requires some mechanism to be able to protect that and, and then induce um, uh, absorption through the gut. And so one of the, the means of a natural means of, of absorption of small molecules is something called paracellular transport, where mm -hmm. the cells that line the gut can be temporarily separated just a little bit. 
and allow molecules um, and, and solutes to go between those cells. And this is happening every day. It's a normal, what we call physiologic process of absorption. Mm -hmm. So it's happening in everybody all over the gut. And what we're doing is we're targeting uh, with our technology, getting the drug in the right place at the right time. So these small openings will uh, be induced by uh, some of the substances in our TPE technology. The drug octreotide then goes between the cells, gets picked up in the bloodstream, and, and, it's, and it's therefore a way of administering it orally without having to do an injection, which would be another way to get it into the blood. Sure. One of the things people sometimes ask is, well, if you're separating uh, the cells, uh, does that allow other things to go through? And, and the answer is no, right? This is a physiologic. This is happening all the time throughout everybody's gut. Yeah. Um, and so it only opens <laughs> up small little openings, which would exclude anything we'd be worried about, like bacteria and toxins and viruses and other bad things. So anything that's a physiologic mechanism or something that happens all the time, you would expect, therefore, to be safe. And that's exactly what we've been finding is there's no... TPE related safety signals um, uh, in using our, using the drug. Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. Science. I'm assuming that the organization could have picked other diseases to te to uh, test uh, this TPE. Uh, can we call it a technology or a TPE sure. process? Yeah. Um, so, uh, why acromegaly? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, there's a, a number of properties that we look for in a molecule that we would use for something like TPE. Um, as I mentioned, the openings are relatively small, right? These are this, this normal process, this physiologic yeah. mechanism of absorption, paracellular transport only allows small molecules. So uh, uh, octreotide is actually eight amino acids. It's a very small peptide. And in terms of the, the definition we use for, for sizing these kinds of molecules, we, we, we refer to that in Daltons. Mm -hmm. it's, it's less than one kilodalton, whereas in uh, the TPE, we can, we can uh, really use things, you know, actually even as high as probably 20 kilodaltons, but, but many molecules are, are much larger than that. And so if it's bigger um, than that, we really, it's not gonna be a good candidate for TPE. Uh, there's a number of other things that, that we have to weigh in, uh, including uh, the durability of the molecule, the solubility of the molecule, the cost of the molecule, yeah. all these things come together. And so one of the ideal candidates was octreotide. And we knew that uh, the, the disease using octreotide that had a huge unmet need are patients with acromegaly. Yeah. So we very quickly identified that as a as a really uh, important um, therapeutic area, and and that launched us in that path. Yeah, and with a burden of injections, what a great thing for for uh, patients, a great option for patients to have. So, so um, since my capsa, which is the name of the new drug, uh, is the first and only oral SSA approved by the FDA, can you elaborate? on how my capsa moved from an idea to a medication? Uh, you bet. Um, well, Chiasma was founded with the goal of creating oral therapies, right? And so after the TPE delivery system was discovered, uh, we, we first went into to acromegaly um, and 
you know, as I think you may be familiar, um, you know, we've, we had a, uh, some initial setbacks um, with the process. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we went through the FDA and they asked for another trial. So I think one of the real hallmarks of chiasma is, is really tenacity, right? We just continue to, we had a mission, have a mission, and we've just stuck with it. And yeah. you know, I know when, you know, we were, you and I were talking years ago when we had uh, the setback with the FDA, yeah. you know, my promise was we, we were going to stick with this. We are going to do everything we can to make this possible. We, we started up a new trial and uh, we're successful in that trial. We've now taken it through the FDA. We've got approval and now have it on the market. So, so that determination, the, the, the vision of really wanting to see this through to help patients with acromegaly has is, is really been a driver. Um, and, you know, as I said, ultimately led to, to this uh, recent approval. Yeah, I, I remember that well, that, that discussion, that talk uh, a bunch of years ago. It's just really great to see that the, the company move forward with this because it's, it's so important. So, um, uh, so it, it really, it is incredible to hear about the support that the community gave you. Uh, I recognize it was a journey to the approval with milestones, successes along the way. So can you tell us a little about the clinical trials that led the FDA uh, approval for my CAPSA? Yeah, no, I, sure. But I, actually, you just rem you made me think of something, JD, when you talked yeah. about the patients. You know, it really was a partnership or, or at least a clear alignment of missions. Um, you know, patients were writing letters, patients were, were, were making their voices heard. And I think that uh, the patient voice is very, very powerful. And I think um, this whole uh, community of, of patients with acromegaly, with all of the, the various uh, community groups, yours and Jill's and others, really have that power um, to, to affect change. And, and it was just a real privilege to be able to, to work with you and others to, to see that happen. But thank you. It was, it's been a lot of fun for me as a layperson, you know, to, to understand the science and what it takes to, to get the, from the molecule to a medication, you know, that actually is working in people that is, is creating uh, improved quality of life. It's, it's just a fantastic uh, thing to do. Um, so um, I'm, I'm very happy I, I was able to get involved um, uh, in, in learning more about this. So it's wonderful. Great. Uh, so, um, so, so back to your question. Yeah. You asked me about clinical trials. So <laughs> yeah. let me just preface and say that, you know, at the end of the day, my CAPSA is not an appropriate fit for everybody with acromegaly. It's indicated yeah. for the long-term maintenance uh, treatment of patients on whom initial treatment with octreotide or lanreotide has been effective and tolerated. You know, it certainly can cause problems like gallbladder and other uh, common side effects like headaches, joint pain, nausea, weakness, uh, diarrhea, sweating, other things. So, so people need to, to evaluate working with their clinicians, uh, what is appropriate for them. And this is really, these are the things that were born out in our, in our clinical study. So, so let me tell you about the most recent study that we did, which is what allowed the, the drug to get approved through the FDA. And this was a nine month randomized, which means the patients get uh, 
put into two different arms in a blinded way. Yeah. The clinician doesn't know and the patient doesn't know which treatment group that they're in. One treatment group had the actual drug and, and the other treatment group had a placebo or match drug that nobody could tell the difference. Um, and then you, you get to study the effects and you and in a blinded way, you can see what is truly occurring due to the medication itself. And it's a very yeah. powerful way of assessing uh, drug therapy. And that was a trial that um, FDA asked us to do. And as I mentioned, it was a, a nine month trial. One of the dilemmas that was created for us is we realized, well, wait a second, if we're going to do a, a long trial like that and patients with that have, you know, serious consequences of their disease untreated, you know, who would want to go into a trial that where they could be on a placebo for up to nine months. And so yeah. what we did is we created an escape mechanism where if they were either on placebo or, or weren't responding for whatever reason to the micapsa and their disease state began to come back, that they could then be rescued. And, uh, and they would rescue back to their prior therapy. And this, that rescue, that knowing that the, the patients would only be exposed to their disease for a relatively short period of time, probably on the order of a few weeks, yeah. made it very acceptable from the patient, patient perspective, yep, the physicians and the, and the ethics review, review bodies. And so, so we're actually we're very successful in being able to get clinicians and, and patients excited about coming into the disease uh, I'm sorry, into the, uh, into the study, yeah. knowing that once they're done with those nine months, regardless of what arm they were on, they then got a chance to go into the open label portion of it. So, so the trial uh, worked very well. All we had 56 patients go through the trial, all 56 completed. We had no dropouts. Um, and, and, you know, I think, as you know, the, the efficacy on the, we, we, we documented without any question, yeah. Uh, in a very statistically significant level that the efficacy on the drug was, was, uh, was there, was very effective, uh, was in the kind of in the ballpark of what clinicians have become used to in terms of seeing in the, in the other drugs in the space. And the safety profile was very similar to what was um, in the, the current injectable somatostatin analogs minus the, um, the injection site reactions. So, what are you hearing from uh, both the doctors prescribing micapsa and the patients taking micapsa now? Is that something that you're tracking, I assume? No? Yeah, well, we're very early in the launch. I mean, one yeah. of the, of course, challenges that no company would, would have chosen to have happen. Oh, I can we're imagine. launching a drug in the middle of a pandemic, which yes. uh, creates a whole host of problems. I can imagine. You know, many doctors' offices uh, are, you know, people are working from home and yeah. they're administrators. And so just logistically, this is this is territory we haven't been in before. But, yeah. uh, you know, all along, I've heard consistently, and there's been no change, that patients are excited about an oral option, that clinicians are excited about this. They recognize that it's octreotide, it's a drug they've used for over 30 years, that they feel is safe and effective. And so we, a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of encouragement, both from the, the clinician as well as the, the patient side. One of the, the studies that was, so the, the study I just described was yeah. the study we took through the FDA. And that was a study that read out last year, July of 2019, 
Um, we read out another trial called the Empowered Trial, which is a trial which was, is designed for approval of the drug in, in Europe. And this is a head-to-head -head comparison of uh, oral octreotide versus injectable. And we're very excited. Uh, this, this just came out um, in November. And we showed, uh, and the statistical way of describing a success in that type of a trial is saying that you, you met non-inferiority. So we proved that uh, oral octreotide is non-inferior to the injectable, which is what the goal of that trial is. And so again- So basically that means that they're the same. It doesn't, sort of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, so it's a t in statistical words, you, you gotta be careful about in terms of using things like the same comparable. I get it, sure. Statistically, what you say, the, 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 the phraseology is non-inferior. There's a whole statistical models that yes. go along with that um, to say that, that one is no worse than the other. Okay, interesting. Well, thank you, Bill. I believe this concludes my questions for today. So thank you so much for being here with us. It, this is so interesting. Uh, the information is so interesting. Uh, uh, that uh, I'm sure our patients would be, and I'm not our patients, but our community would be uh, very thankful to hear you describe all these uh, great uh, issues. And, well, well, JD, th thank yeah. you so much for having me uh, in this interview today. And, and, and I just, if I could, just before we wrap things up, I, I do want to just take this opportunity to, again, express our, our most sincere gratitude to the work that you do um, oh, thank you. Not, not necessary, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, and grateful for this partnership uh, with you and, and, and Dr. Blevins and, and, and the work you've done in developing um, uh, your grassroots organization. And it, it's very, very, it's wonderful as a clinician to see patients work together uh, to, to ultimately see that their, their unmet needs are being, their, their voice is being heard and that their unmet needs are being addressed. Thank you. Thank you very much for those words. It's been really a pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, uh, please stay tuned now for important safety information. And thank you very much for listening. Indication and important safety information. What is Micapsa octreotide for? Micapsa is an oral prescription medicine used in the long-term maintenance treatment of acromegaly in people for whom initial treatment with octreotide or lanreotide has been effective and tolerated. If these treatments are effective and your body is tolerating it, you may be eligible to take micapsa instead of the injections. Ask your doctor if this oral treatment is appropriate for you. What is the most important safety information I should know? Micapsa can cause problems with the gallbladder. Tell your healthcare provider if you have any of these symptoms. Sudden pain in your upper right stomach, abdomen, or right shoulder or between your shoulder blades. Yellowing of your skin or the whites of your eyes, fever with chills, or nausea. Micapsa may affect your blood sugar, thyroid hormone, or vitamin B12 levels. Tell your healthcare provider if you have any problems or conditions related to these. Your healthcare provider may monitor these levels during your treatment with Micapsa. Tell your healthcare provider if you have an irregular heartbeat. Who should not use Micapsa? Micapsa can cause a serious allergic reaction, including anaphylactic shock. Stop taking Micapsa right away and get emergency help if you have any of these symptoms. Swelling of your tongue, throat, lips, eyes, or face. 
trouble swallowing or breathing, severe itching of the skin with rash or raised bumps, feeling faint, chest pain, or rapid heartbeat. Do not use micapsa if you are allergic to octreotide or any other ingredients in micapsa. If you need to know the ingredients, ask your healthcare provider or pharmacist. If you have certain other medical conditions, you should use micapsa with caution. Tell your healthcare provider about all your medical conditions, especially the following pregnancy or breastfeeding, liver disease, kidney disease, or difficulty in emptying bladder completely. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Micapsa may affect the way other medicines work, and other medicines may affect how micapsa works. What are the possible side effects of micapsa? The most common side effects are headache, joint pain, nausea, weakness, diarrhea, and sweating a lot. Talk to your healthcare provider if you have any side effect that bothers you or that does not go away. You may report side effects to the FDA at 1-800-FDA-1088. Keep micapsa and all medicines out of the reach of children. How should I take micapsa? Do not take micapsa with food. Micapsa should be taken with a glass of water on an empty stomach. Take micapsa at least one hour before a meal or at least two hours after a meal. For example, you could take your morning dose one hour before breakfast and your evening dose at bedtime. You have been listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.